You know what I've realized, I've been speaking about this for a while, is that this, this season we're in right now is designed to play on our anxiety. It's designed to play on our worry and concern. And I, for the last few weeks, have been talking about the idea of letting that go and trusting God. I know the titles of my messages have been around fear, but I want you to know that the whole point of them isn't to talk about fear, but to talk about trust in God. Like, I, I need you to get that part of the message in more than any other thing that I, I'm going to talk to you about today, is that you trust in God. You see, the thing that I realize about when you trust in God, you don't allow fear to take hold. Like, fear doesn't have a place if you have trust. I don't know if you've ever seen that game played where they are, this usually happens when you are joining new groups of people or they, you only have a couple of days maybe for a training session and they try to have a team event to pull you all together. And the thing that people do is they have they pair you off into groups of two and they say to kind of focus on trust, what I want you to do is the one person stands behind the other and they say fall back. Right? I want you to trust the person behind you like you just met this person. Like, and the team event is to show how much you trust each other. And so you stand there and you're supposed to just lean back and everything in you is telling you there is no way I'm leaning back in the hands of that person. First of all, I'm 250 and they're 125. Like, this isn't, this isn't going to work. On so many levels, this is a bad idea. Right? But the thing is, the person I'm asking you to trust isn't 125. <laughs> the person I'm asking you to trust has all the weight, all the strength, all the power. Like, I'm not asking you to trust in the smallest person in the room. I'm asking you to put your trust in the biggest person in the room. Like, I'm not asking you to trust me. Like, I may mess up. I may get distracted, I may fall asleep, I may focus on the wrong things and then you're on the floor wondering how you got there. But I'm asking you to put your trust in God. Not me. I will let you down. I will miss a text. I will miss a phone call. Just when you needed me the most, I won't be hearing you. But God won't do that for you. The scripture tells us that he doesn't sleep. Like, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't take a rest. <laughs> He's always vigilant. David said it like this, he says, where should I flee from your presence? If I dwell at the bottom of the sea, you're there. Like, there's no place that I can't do this and he won't catch me. Like, David said, if I wake up in the morning early, he'll be there. So it doesn't matter where my concern is, where my problem is, he's going to be there. I want to read a scripture to you today. I've been excited about this. I've been reading this all week and thinking about this scripture all week. And I want to talk to you about that today. And then I want to let you go and let you enjoy your day. Um, but before we get to that enjoyment part, I want you to get in on this word. I want you to really lock in on this one. This one's an important one when we're talking about trust and we're talking about fear and how they seem to be sometimes being the same location and we've got to reject the fear part and embrace the trust part. Like fear and trust end up in the same locations but we're having, I'm asking you to, to lean in 
to the trust. Right? Let's go to Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter 14. I'm going to ask you just to stand while I read this scripture. It's just 11 verses. I want to read this into your hearing. I want you to have reverence to the word of God. Matthew 14, 22 through 33. I'm going to read that scripture into, into your hearing. Please listen to me intensively as I read this. Matthew 14, 22 through 33. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him into, onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the winds boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried saying Lord save me and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hands and caught him and said unto him O thou of little faith wherefore or why didst thou doubt and, and when they were come unto the ship the wind ceased then they went then that were in the ship came and worshipped him saying of a truth thou art the Son of God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his words. Please take your seats. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So grateful to the Lord today. As I said, I am grateful to be in fellowship with you. I've been, um, some scriptures kind of tie me into it so that I can't stop thinking about it. And um, it's, it's with the, that intent that I've come to you today because um, I'm realizing the scriptures, I've, met, I've missed a few things that I kind of hope um, not that I hope you've missed, but I hope that I can bring into your hearing today. Um, this is actually the second time we have a ship in the sea where Jesus performs some kind of miracle. The first one you probably read out, if you read in Matthew, is in Matthew chapter 8, where the winds, this is a slightly different situation to this one. In that situation, they're on the boat, Jesus is with them on the boat, but in chapter 8, he's in the bottom. And they're at the top, and the winds are such that they think this is it. Like, we are doomed. The storm is so bad, but Jesus is with them in the ship. And so when they realize Jesus is within the, with them in the ship, they go to the bottom and say, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? Like, you're here with us. They have somebody immediately with them who they can go to. This is the situation where I know there's two people behind me, so I can pretty much fall back. Jesus is right there in the ship with them. Like, he's, Jesus is not anywhere far off. He's right there. So they must be thinking to themselves, I've seen this guy do a lot of miracles. Like, if we get him involved, maybe we'll be okay. 
This is a slightly different situation to chapter 14, however, because chapter 14 in verse 22, we read and Jesus says, literally constrains them, forces them to get on the boat without him. See, this is the difference between chapter eight and chapter 14, is Jesus isn't with them on the boat when they get into trouble. In fact, what we learn if we look at Matthew and the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus actually goes away and prays in the mountain. And in fact, what we learn from Mark's account is that Jesus is able to see where they are. (laughs) The account from Mark tells us he's actually seeing them go through the problem that they're going through. Like, but he's actually not on the boat, but he sees them. I need you to understand that I don't care whether you're alone or whether you're in the church with me. If he's not there, he sees what you're going through. So Jesus was actually supposed to be alone praying. Verse 22 says, Jesus constrained them. He forced them on the boat and he forced them to go without him. And he sent the multitudes away. This isn't a miracle for the crowd. This isn't a miracle for everybody to see. This is a miracle for you to see when you're by yourself and you're alone and you're afraid. And I want you to know that even in the times when you don't see me, I'm there. Jesus will be there. Verse 23, and he says, And when he had sent the multitudes, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Here's the setup. In, in Mark chapter, in Mark, I think it's chapter 5, what we learn about is that Jesus the whole time stays on the land and in Mark chapter 5 it says he sees them. In Matthew we hear that it's a mountain. So what I take from that is Jesus has an advantage with his position versus their position. They're in the sea, in a storm that won't let them go. Jesus isn't with them, but Jesus is strategically positioned to see exactly what they're going through. Like, he's at the perfect vantage point. He's on a mountain, meaning he sees what's ahead of them. He sees what's behind them. He sees what's to the side of them. (laughs) And, And what we learn about in Matthew is that they've been rowing all night. Again, you have to read all the Gospels to get this. But the scripture tells us in the fourth watch, they're still rowing. Right? So in verse 22, Jesus sends them away. That evening, Jesus sends them away. We learn about that by looking at all the Gospels. And the fourth watch, they're still trying to get to their destination. But it's important we understand what that means. In the first watch is approximately, based on the Roman idea of the watch of the night, the first watch is 6 to 9 p.m. That's the first watch, right? The second watch is 9 to 12. So we know that they started off on their journey sometime in the evening, let's assume in the first watch. But they are not on the first or second watch still rowing. We know now that they're in the fourth watch. So the third watch is 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. That makes the fourth watch 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. They have been rowing this boat, trying to get the other side from at least 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. 
all the way ready to maybe nine hours later, they're still trying to get to the other side. We learn about in, the, in, in John that this is a 30 furlong journey, meaning about six kilometers or four miles. That's an awful long time to cover four miles. Like, that's, an, that's too long. So they have been stuck in the same position, stuck in the same problem, with the same force working against them, with the same set of problems all night. And Jesus has been watching and I think he's been waiting. <laughs> like they knew what to do when Jesus was on the boat, but now they can't figure out what to do when Jesus isn't on the boat with them. The thing is that they should have realized and the thing that we need to realize is whether we're here on a Sunday evening or afternoon or whether it's Tuesday and you're by yourself. He is just a prayer away. But you've got to trust him the same way you trust him Sunday. You've got to trust him on Wednesday the same way we all trust him right now. Like we've got to trust him when the storms of life are raging over us in the same way we trust him when everything's going well. <laughs> in this scripture, Jesus doesn't look like he's right there with them, but he actually is. He's not far away. He's a God that is at hand and not far away. Let me keep reading in this. In this verse 25, in the fourth watch. So they've been battling against this weather. The whole time, verse 24 says, but the ship was now in the midst, so right in the middle of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. This word contrary is an interesting one. It could mean adverse, it could be just against us. But what it means re in reality is, no matter which direction they tried to go in, the wind decided to blow against that. So they're in the middle of the lake now. They're in the middle of the lake. And if they decide to go forward, the wind decides to go against them. If they said, well, let's just go back. Now, well, the wind's now contrary to what they were trying to do. If they try to go east or west, whatever they do, the wind is against them. I don't know if you've ever felt like this sometimes, where life just throws everything at you, and no matter, you say, okay, well, I'll start again, and something is against you starting again. <laughs> and you say, Lord, man, well, let me just keep going, and the forces come up to stop you from going forward. Oh, there's always something more coming up. There's always one more thing to fight. There's always one more thing to fight. And it is in those frustrating moments, it's in those hurtful moments that we can forget that what matters most is that when Jesus is with me, I'm going to be okay. We can't let fear take over. You can you imagine the panic you're feeling? Like you've been rowing for eight hours. You've done all you can to get to shore for eight hours at least. Possibly 12. You've been doing everything you can to get out of your problem. And all you can do is stay where you are. That's what life does to us sometimes. It locks us into a place of doom. And you can imagine the fatigue and the sleepiness and the weariness, the exhaustion I'm feeling. And I want to get out of this situation. I can't get out. And I'm saying, Lord, help me right now. 
but sometimes our instinct isn't even to ask for help, it's to just keep trying the same thing harder. They should have been asked for help after the first hour. Like after 25 minutes of additional, of additional rowing, I should have said, well, Lord, Lord Jesus, I know what you did. You know what, this happens just moments before this. Like the feeding of the 5,000. Literally, the scripture tells us in verse 21, and they had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Right, that's the verse 21. Verse 22 says, and straightway, like we've just finished with a miracle. We just finished with an amazing miracle. But that happens to us, right? The Lord works out something for us wonderfully and beautifully. And we say, Lord, we thank you for what you've done. Such an amazing thing that you've done for me. And then a new, slightly different problem comes up. And we have no idea who to ask. Like, it's like it doesn't even occur to us to pray. It doesn't occur to us to ask our brothers and sisters to pray for us. We say, well, let's just keep rowing. <laughs> and you're an hour into rowing. And then you're two hours into rowing. And then you're in the third and you're in the fourth watch of rowing. You see how it happens? You remember once I had a, um, my, my brother, um, my brother-in-law uh, was a personal trainer for a while. And he was, and I, I have a basement, I had like a little gym in my basement that I try to use and never do, but I try to use it. And he was telling me, um, I, I was on the bench, I, I like using the bench press. And he said to me, you know, there's a more effective way of doing it. He says, you can't just put for bigger weights on. You've got to exercise the muscle in slightly different ways. Because when you exercise the muscle in slightly different ways, it activates more of the muscle fiber. So if sometimes you push, you've got to take that same weight and pull. Or if you, if you just push it up, maybe push it at an angle and it will activate different muscles. It's the same set of muscles, but I am activating it in a slightly different way. Right? So, they should have had the experience from the previous boat, like that this is, he can calm the winds any moment. And they should have had experience from the feeding of the 5,000 that he would take care of it. But he was exercising the same muscle in a slightly different way. And they couldn't make the connection. They couldn't think that, well, this is actually doing me more good than the 5,000. Just knowing that the situation is slightly different, don't let that confuse you. Same God right then, same God right now. <laughs> and in the fourth watch, they've been, they've been rowing all night. Literally, they must have been switching out, taking turns, doing all they can do to get past this contrary wind. This wind that is just designed to hold them back. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Here, me, I'm a, I'm a very particular kind of, uh, I like to think about things in terms of um, what I've been taught. So part of that is me thinking about, if Jesus is walking on the water, right? He's using the same conveyance mechanism as y'all. How is he walking and making ground and this, the water, the wind is blowing him just like it's blowing you? But somehow he makes his way just fine into the middle of the storm. Like, you should have realized then that everything's going to be just fine. 
<laughs> so with the fourth watch, Jesus we know has been watching them from Mark, has been watching them the whole time. And now he sees them struggling out there, and he sees them struggling out there and he meets them in the middle of, the, of their problem. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Notice what he's doing. He's not asking them to get out of it in order to activate him. He's saying, I see you in your problem. You're not even thinking about me or asking for me, but I'm gonna to come to where you are. This is what I love about the savior we serve. He's not mad at me because I'm not thinking in the right way. He's not mad at me because I didn't figure it out. He's just finding me where I am and bringing his presence to me. Like if it was me, I'm like, if y'all haven't figured it out yet, you never will, and I'm not gonna help. That would be me. But this kind of savior says, let me bring myself into you. <laughs> He's not afraid of the water. He doesn't need a boat. <laughs> That's why I say some people I'm happy to do this with if you're strong enough. If you're not strong enough, I'm not going back, but this savior has proven himself over and over again. So let me keep reading here. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch, Jesus has finished praying now. He sees them still struggling all night. He sees they haven't activated faith. And you know what we know about you? Without faith, it's obviously you can't please God. So whatever they're doing in the middle of it isn't pleasing to God, but that doesn't matter to Jesus. He's still saying, I'm coming for you. You're stuck. You're frozen in place. You're not making any, any ground. You're not doing what he's told you because he told you to get in the boat and get to the other side. You didn't do it, but he's still coming to help you. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Look, he didn't even go the way they assumed it would. Saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. See, there's a thing that was happening about that time, that if they felt that if you died on the ocean or died on the sea, that you would come back as a ghost. So there's at least a two fishermen on the boat, and they knew about these superstitions. So they assumed whoever they were seeing wasn't Jesus at all. They assumed it was something making it worse. You can imagine, they're sleepy, they're exhausted, they're frightened, they think they're gonna drown out there to see the sea is working against them. And then on top of all of that, a ghost has shown up. Like, isn't it the situation that when we go through a problem, it's like, now's the time for more problems? Now, now's the time for even more situations to hold me down? Now is when it happens? But that's what happens when fear is in the boat. What happens when fear is in the boat is that your help looks like more distress. I don't know if you've ever seen my beloved sister. When, when she happens to see one insect in the day, everything that moves looks like an insect. It could be a leaf. It could be a speck of dust, <laughs> it could be a bird, but that leaf, that bird, that dust inspires the same feeling as the insect that she's actually scared of. 
<laughs> now, it needs to be primed to be sure, and it doesn't happen every time, but she sees the insect first, then everything was that insect. After that, everything is, and that's what happens when we get in these situations. We assume the worst is happening because we are feeling vulnerable and hurt and distressed. We think the worst is about to happen. That's the only thing left that can happen is the worst because we're already in a bad situation. That's what panic is really. Panic is your body thinking it's just gonna get worse and escalating the, and you start to breathe too much and you hyperventilate and you start to get out of control. And your body thinks this is just, and you, sometimes you have to faint as a mechanism to break the cycle, right? That's what sometimes happens to the body. But Jesus is walking out to them. But Jesus isn't just anybody. Jesus is their mentor. Jesus is their savior. Jesus is their friend. Jesus is their, their rabbi, their teacher. And they don't recognize it because they're bathed in fear. How is that possible? That you don't recognize the person coming to help you because you're so full of fear. And this is what I've come to talk to you about today. Don't let fear overwhelm us when we're going through what we're going through. I'm here to tell you there is no avoiding sometimes being stuck in the sea. Jesus made them get on the boat. He ensured they got on the boat. And once they got there, just because you think you're walking with Christ, don't assume that the problems will go away. Assume that they'll be there, just know that if you call him, he'll answer. Just know that he'll answer. So, so verse 26, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. Their savior looks like they should be scared. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, what? Be of good cheer. Another way of saying that is, I want you to be full of courage right now. Like I know you've been stuck on this boat for eight hours, but now's the time for cheer and for courage. Like when you're going through life and it's got you held and it's got you struggling and it's got you fearful, I want you to find somewhere where you're just full of joy and courage, even in the middle of the storm. The song that was sang today was when the storm of life are raging over me, I'm gonna hide in the rock. Be of good cheer. And what does he say? It is I. That's a very particular phrase that I want to lock in on before I move on. It is I. <laughs> another way of saying that, the actual original Greek says ego ime, which is another way of simply saying I am. That's it. The statement it is I is another way of saying I am. See, I thought the only I am's of Christ was I am the bread of life. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I thought there was I am's of Christ was I am the door. I am the way. I am the light. But Jesus is saying I am in the storm. You, you, you see that? Ego ime means I am right now, even though you're in the middle of your trouble, I am. I don't want you to worry about what you're going through, I am. I don't want you to worry about how long you've been going through it, I am. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus is here to comfort them. Do not be afraid. 
In Matthew it says, and described Jesus as, he is, will be called Emmanuel. What does that mean? Translate to us. God with us. <laughs> what was he saying to them? He was trying to let them know, I am with you. Don't be afraid. You know what I was on the mountain waiting and watching. I am still with you. <laughs> Do not be afraid. The constant refrain of the scripture is don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And Jesus is telling them again, don't be afraid for I am with you. I am right here. It is I. I am here. God is with you. I am your Emmanuel. There's a scripture in Isaiah 43 verse 10 I want us to read real quick. If minister can find that for me real quick. Isaiah 43, 41 verse 10. Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear thou not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. For I am with thee. For I am with you. See how the scripture's coming out now? Jesus is basically quoting Isaiah right here to them. Don't be afraid right now. Don't be worried. I am with you. It is I. I am. Ego ime. I am right here with you. To keep going. Yes. Don't be upset. Don't let it rock your world that you're going through this for so long. Keep going. For I am thy God. Ego ime. I am with you. I am your God. Yep, I'll give you strength. Yeah, I will help. This is exactly what they needed to hear, right? Yeah. Having done this all night from the first watch, at least to the to the fourth watch, they needed to be here. I'll be your strength. Yes, I know you're almost exhausted. I know you can't go on any longer, but I'm going to be your strength. Let's keep going. I will uphold thee. Yes. With thy right hand of my righteousness. I'm here to help. You're getting more frightened because you don't recognize me because of fear, but I'm here to help. We have to recognize the voice of the Lord even when we're frightened. We have to recognize his presence even when we are full of fear. David says, when you're, when you're with me, I will not be afraid. Let me keep reading. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, Lord, if it be thou, back in Matthew chapter 14. Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Peter's convinced that if Jesus gives him the word of instruction, that I'll be able to do exactly what he's doing. You know, it's amazing that once we know we're in the presence of God, we're okay. Like, but we have to see it first by faith. And Jesus is, you know, as, as I was talking earlier about coming to Columbus and starting this ministry, part of it had to be in faith. You, you know, without like a lightning bolts telling you what exactly to do, you have to sometimes step out on faith. And remember, the Lord's going to tell you, come on, that's the right thing to do. But you have to be vigilant and strong enough and full of faith enough to say, Lord, let me know that this is the right thing. Let me know that even in the middle of this storm, you're going to be with me and you're going to give me some strength. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So he asked literally for Jesus to give him permission to walk out there. On the water, yes, doing something no one in history has ever seen, either before or since. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> right? So he says, bid me come. And he said, 
come. That was all Peter needed. And he's gone from being afraid, being exhausted, to walking on water. <laughs> like it doesn't take a whole bunch for you to turn around your situation. You've just got to start believing. Like I've gone from being exhausted, working all night, to walking, doing something only two people, as far as we know, have ever done. Jesus isn't there to punish them and tell them how bad they are, how little faith they had. He's there to help. <laughs> All right, so let me keep going. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on water, on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, here's where the problem happens. He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. What's amazing is about this, the next part of this. Lord save me. Verse 31 says, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. <laughs> Let me keep finish what it says. And caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why did you doubt? So things that have happened right now. Jesus, Peter asked for permission to come. Jesus says, come. He's walking on water. He's doing the most amazing thing. But then he starts to focus on the problem rather than the solution. His mind gets completely distracted by the problem rather than the solution that's been walking all the way four miles into the middle of this sea. Like, he's made it this far. Why do you think he's going to go badly now? Like, the, water, the wind's been blowing this whole time. He's out here with you. You're going to be okay. Says, but Jesus, this is what I love about this. The instruction came after the saving. Like, Jesus didn't say to him while he's sinking, you know, you could do with some more faith while Peter's going down into the water. He did the most practical thing he could. He stretched out his hand. Didn't say, Peter, get your faith up. <laughs> he didn't say, Peter, start treading water now. He does the most practical thing he can do to help. And I think sometimes we need to do the practical thing to help each other. Like, like I don't need your prayer sometimes. Sometimes I need your attention. Sometimes I need your company. And stretching out your hand is the quickest way. So... Immediately Jesus stretches forth his hand, immediately. No, no, no hesitation. O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Verse 32, and when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased, stopped immediately. But I want to, and let me keep reading, verse 35, and the men of that place had, um, verse 34, and when they were gone over, they came into the land of Genesaret. I think I missed the verse, verse 33. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But look what happens in chapter 6 of, of, of Mark, verse 54. It says, When they were came out of the ship, straightway they knew him. Like, they didn't recognize him when he was walking to them. Only when the danger was over did they recognize who he was straight or everybody able to recognize who he was. Only at that point, 
Fear's gone, so it's easy to recognize him now. Mark tells us that it was fear that was blinding them to who Jesus is. I've been talking about this for a few weeks now and I hope you've got the message. I don't want you to let fear and anxiousness and doubt kind of cloud who you can possibly be in Christ Jesus. I want you to trust not in me, not even necessarily in other, but in the Lord himself. I want you to put your trust in him. I want you to know that if you fall back, he's gonna come and help you. Even if you're by yourself, He's going to reach out that hand to help you. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word. I'm praying that the Lord bless you, fill you with courage. As the scripture says, be of good cheer. Jesus is saying, it is I. Don't be afraid. May the Lord add a blessing to the word.